0: Uh, today we're doing Chapter 3, Growing in Grace, subtitled, Attitudes and Actions for Appropriating Greater Grace. I like alliteration, so we got four G's and three A's going on there. A couple, couple uh, a double alliteration. So, Growing in Grace, Attitudes and Actions for Appropriating Greater Grace. Uh, the theme verse of this, of this series is John 1, 16 and 17, where it says, for of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. In the first message, which if you jump down to Roman numeral 2, section 1, chapter 1 was called Grace in Perspective, the, the Importance and Meaning of Grace. One, the, one of the final points we made in that message was that that verse actually means that grace came through Moses, uh, the the covenant of the law and so forth uh, was was by grace, the 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 covenant before that, the covenant of Abraham, was by grace. All of God's actions are, with mankind are always by grace, and and Jesus was not. This verse doesn't juxtapose Jesus against Moses, but on uh, in addition to Moses, further grace came and was fully realized through Jesus Christ. Is what that verse really means? Uh, the New Living Translation translates it one gracious blessing after another mounts translates it one gracious gift after another uh so you know we want to understand that grace is the beginning of our christian life grace is how we continue grace is how we grow grace is how we're motivated and empowered and grace will see us all the way through to the completion and fullness of christ when we're eternally in his presence so, uh, again, we looked at grace plus theologies in chapter two. We looked at five different approaches uh, to grace and how to detect them or discern them. Um, that's, it's really important that you have some tools or barometers, some, some guidelines, uh, some compass points, whatever, whatever metaphor you want to use to help you judge your own heart as to whether you're growing in grace. And down, if you look at the bottom of page one, Roman numeral six, if you're, if you're walking in any of the uh, top three theologies, there works plus nothing, works plus grace leads to favor, or grace plus works, you will experience these four things in the bottom, uh, the bottom of page in your heart and in your relationships with other people. One is you'll experience a sense of self-righteousness, at the same time is feeling a, a contradictory sense of condemnation. And many Christians walk around self-condemned and, uh, and self-righteous at the same time. And Romans 8, 1 says, there, uh, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of, of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Uh, you'll be harsh in judgment. You'll tend to look at the speck in your brother's eye instead of focusing on the log in your own eye Um, uh, as as a general rule. Thirdly, you'll have a hard time, uh, there's an old saying, decrease your expectations and increase your appreciation. When you lack uh, receiving the grace of God in your own life and walking by grace, you will find yourself becoming a Pharisee. And we all struggle with this. This is part of our sinful nature. There's no one who never, doesn't struggle with this. We 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 get saved by grace, and then we start perfecting ourselves by works. That's why the Galatian issue was so urgent to Paul, because that cuts us off from grace. It cut it. It you know, that's what it really means to fall from grace. People think of falling from grace as someone left the church or. They denied Christ or so forth. Falling from grace is when you, it is any sort of performance-based approach to God and to uh, our acceptance of one another in our relationships in a, in a Christian community. So uh, a great saying is decrease your expectation and increase your appreciation. And you'll find yourself having trouble doing that when you're walking in any kind of a grace plus works uh, theology. And you, finally, you'll be a, a people pleaser. Galatians six or Galatians 1.10, Paul says, I could not be a bondservant of Christ if I were still trying to please men. Uh, Jesus said, Woe is are you when all men speak well of you. Uh, I've often said, if you're walking with Christ, you should have those who respect you but won't walk with you. You should have those who don't respect you, don't like you, and won't walk with you. And you should have some people who respect you and walk with you. You you need to have people in all those categories if you're really walking with Christ. It's just important that the right people are in the right category. But you're not going to please everybody. And the sooner you realize that life is about pleasing God, even even in our work, in our relationships, in the church, in your employment. What God, God calls you first to work unto Christ. You're not really first working unto your boss. You're first working unto Christ. And you're walking with him. So uh, flip over to page two. And we're going to cover page two in two Sundays. Uh, I actually just spent a lot less time on the review of the first uh, couple messages than I had planned to. So that's good. Uh What I want to start with, when we talk about growing in grace, we're going to kind of divide this up. First, we're going to talk about three introductory or foundational concepts that you need to have in place. If we're going to talk about, if you're going to understand what we're going to talk about next week, is that when you grow in grace, there are correct attitudes, there are proper actions to take, uh, so that you can acquire or appropriate more grace, and all of us need to grow in grace. There's no one who doesn't need to grow in the great in grace. It's interesting that Paul starts all of his thirteen epistles with uh, with part of the salutation has may the uh, grace of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Uh, that's part of his saluta- salutation in all thirteen of his epistles. So. Um, We all need to grow in grace, and there are things we can do to grow in grace, and things we can do that hinder growing in grace, and uh, that's what we kind of want to take a look at. Before we get into it, I want to lay some foundations that we need in order to understand how to grow in grace. First, uh, just that you need to understand that grace is something you can grow in. Grace is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is a relationship. Grace is a relational word. Uh, one of the things that really helps in life is, frankly, being married and having kids <laughs> helps you because you, in, in marriage, you grow in your grace for one another. You lower your expectations. You increase your appreciation. You find one another more deeply. Your fellowship and enjoyment of one another grows. Uh, that, that should and could happen in single brothers' households. That should always be happening in the church. We should always be growing in grace for one another, out of the fact that we're growing in grace with God. So grace is not stagnant. Grace is uh, measurable. Um, I'm going to grab my Bible because I thought I, for, I uh, forgot to p- paste one scripture in there that I r- really want to use. And first Peter, 2B, the second half of First Peter. Chapter, uh, for, uh, chapter 1, that is, verse 2b, uh, he makes the statement, um, may grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Now, some of you have probably heard me talk about the concept of reading the reverse negative. Uh when you re- read the reverse negative, any, it, this will, this will, if you can get a hold of this concept and get it thoroughly, it'll help your reading, appreciate, your reading uh, comprehension on anything you read. If the scripture says thou shall not kill, you can assume people kill. Uh, if it says you shall not commit adultery or you should not even have adultery in your heart, it's because people struggle with that in their heart. <laughs> Okay, so reading the reverse negative in this verse, if Peter is saying, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure, then it's possible for grace and peace not to be ours in the fullest measure. Does that make sense? So that verse in itself proves that grace is something that we grow in. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, interestingly, he starts both of his epistles with with a statement about growing in grace. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Now that makes two of our points. One is grace and peace are something that can be multiplied. Multiplying is adding, uh, multiplying is growing. Okay? And it's not just uh, multiplied by understanding the right concepts. It's understood in it, it's multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, so grace is relational and grace is something that we grow in. Uh, I could read uh, scriptures from say second John, I could read scriptures from all of Paul's epistles that would bring out this point further. look for it at yourself as you read your New Testament. Grace is a relationship, and as such we can't, we're either, you're either growing in grace or you're growing uh uh, or you're decreasing in grace in relationships you're either staying current and you're and you're pressing into a deeper and better relationship or you're drifting. You can actually uh, have a worse marriage or you can have a better marriage. You can have better relationships in your single brother's household and in the church or you can have worse relationships. Uh, it has to do with acquiring grace so that's concept one that we need to build on if we're going to look at attitudes and actions for appropriating or acquiring more grace. Number two, this is is a very important concept and very misunderstood. People think because grace is a free gift that we don't have to do anything to acquire grace. But uh, the truth of the matter is grace is a free gift and gifts come wrapped. You have to unwrap the gift, Sometimes there's some assembly required, and that um, that doesn't take away anything from the gift being free. Uh, now this it's important that you have a proper perspective on this. There's actually some energy or effort needed, but it's God who supplies the energy for the effort. But there's an ongoing effort needed to gather a harvest of grapes. Uh, Apples may grow in the wild, even if they're not cultivated or whatever, but you still have to pick them if you're going to eat them. You still have to go pull the apple off the tree or pick it up from the ground and make sure there's no worms in it and uh and uh, take a bite out of the apple. What's worse than finding a worm in your apple? Of course, finding half a worm when you bite into it so uh you know uh you have to uh you have to uh make some effort to acquire grace. Philippians two twelve 12 through 13 is probably the most classic scripture on this idea because Paul says, So then, my beloved, as a result of everything he said in the first 11 verses about Christ and his death and burial and resurrection and his name being the name above all names and that we should have the same attitude that he had in terms of humility and not a, regarding equality with God, a thing to be gras- grasped and all these uh, things. He says, therefore, or so then, as a result of what I've said, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and travelling. Does that, that, on the surface, if you don't think it through, might seem like he's saying something about works. Works salvation. Work out your salvation. But he's not at all. For it is God who is at work in you, both into will and to work for His good pleasure. Now, there's various ways you uh, for. There were times in my young Christian life where I read the Book of Galatians every day because I struggled with this performance based I, I had very performance based parents. I grew up in a performance based church. Uh, it's been a journey for me. The, re- the reason we had. Four members of our church shared their journey last week from performance-based thinking. Uh, Edwin did a fantastic job. You can get the CD by... Um, all of them were very good. But you know, you know, there's a little form you can fill out in the back to request Jordan to make you a CD of it. I encourage you to listen to that message. It was good. Uh, four different people shared their journey from performance-based thinking into grace-based thinking. What has helped me has been the concept of whose initiative is it. Hebrews 11 says to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher, some translations say perfecter or completer of our faith. Jesus initiates our faith, he sustains our faith, and, and uh, in all growth is growth at his initiative. He's constantly inviting you into deeper relationship. And he does it through what we're going to we'll look at in a minute called the delivery systems of grace. Uh, that's been a, a help to me because God is calling you to study the scriptures and to read appropriate Christian books. God is calling you to learn how to be filled with the Holy Spirit He's calling you not only to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but to be filled and filled and refilled and refilled again and and filled again. Uh, Larry and I have an old friend named Mike Baez who used to tell a joke about uh, you know a lot of churches have kind of an altar format, altar call format, and people will come up after church and they'll pray and seek God. And this one lady would come up after every week and say, "Oh God, I've sinned again, and I need I need you to fill me again, and oh have mercy on me, fill me again, and." And uh, Mike Bias tells a joke that the pastor, one week he went over to her and said, don't do it, Lord, she leaks. Well, <laughs> well, uh, it's a good joke, but the truth of the matter is we all leak. That's why he fills us again and again and again. There's no one who doesn't leak. Frankly, we leak like, if uh, you ever, uh, a sieve, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we leak like a colander. Have you ever, have you ever like, Turn the faucet on with a colander and, and uh, you know, you can't fill it up because there's more holes than there, than there is water coming in. The grace of God begins to plug those holes, but you will never short of heaven not need to be filled again and again and again with the presence and power of, of the Holy Spirit. You need to spend time with God drinking at his fountain. So Hebrews 12 15 through 16 also gets at this concept of that you have to unwrap the gift when it says see to it that no one comes short of the grace of god again learn to read the reverse negative if he's saying that you should see to it that no one falls short of the grace of god then guess what that means it's quite possible to not see to it and and it's quite possible for us to fall short of what the grace of god is offering us the grace, like uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you but what is common to man. One of the great lies the, of Satan and the, the demonic kingdom that, that will help you to grow if you can overcome this lie in your mind and heart, that your sins are greater or worse or or more perverse or something than everyone else's. And you're the only one that's ever struggled with spiritual confusion or or lust or uh, anger management issues or or what whatever it is that you're uh guess what you, your brothers and sisters in Christ have struggled with that. people are always a little amazed that i'm so free about my sins and and so forth that uh well what you know what we, if there's any righteousness in me at all, which is doubtful some days, especially my according to my wife but uh, if there is it 's by the grace of god there's no good thing Paul says in romans seven that dwells in our flesh. you have no uh attributes that are worthy of praise that god didn't give you. He gave you life in the first place, he created your gifts, your talents your calling uh he caught he took you out of death and into life he put a heart for righteous the hunger and thirst for righteousness in you Every th- good thing and every perfect gift comes down from the father above and whatever uh, is christ-like in you has been initiated and sustained and grown by the grace of god so when he says see to it that No one comes short of the grace of God than he gives one particular example, but he could have gave other examples that no one has a besetting sin of anger management problems or lust. But in this case, he says that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. A root of bitterness, an undealt with problem, if you have somebody in the church or in your family or even in your place of employment that you're growing a root of bitterness to, there's a proper way to deal with that. And if you don't deal with it, it will divide churches, kingdoms, uh, families, etc. And there's grace not to let that happen. You just have to take the initiative to, to do what the Lord tells you to do. Now, when you're dealing with people outside the church, people who aren't Christians, it might not always be wisdom to go directly to talk to them and talk to them and try to work it out. It may or may not, depends on the person and the situation. But in the church and in the family, it's always imperative that the first thing you do is go and try to talk you through. If your brother sins against you, go and be reconciled to your brother. If your brother has ought against you, go and be reconciled to your brother. So the Bible puts the, puts the uh, command on, on all of us that if, if you've sinned against your brother, or your brother thinks you 've sinned against him you're you're to take the initiative to go if it's the other way around, you're to take the initiative to go. so the first one that gets there is just being is just responding to the grace and the commandment of God first that's all ideally you kind of run into you have another problem to work out because you run into each other and knock each other down on the way to get to get reconciled so um, it's important to to, uh, to get the concept that that grace is free gift, but it has to be unwrapped now i 'm going to give us three little illustrations of this that I think would help us uh, get a hold of it. I got a little bit more time than I thought, so uh, next week uh, larry 's going to read matthew twenty two one through fourteen which illustrates the first point, and he 's also going to read hebrews twelve four through thirteen which and we 'll revisit these a little bit next week but Coming to Christmas dinner has always been my favorite analogy of how this grace thing works. Let's, uh, it, you know, many families have traditions like this. We have a wife's family tradition that we always invite some people that don't belong to our family. <laughs> and usually there are people who have some need to be invited, such as uh, there's been a friend of Carla's that we, whose family lives in New Jersey, and because of her job situation, she's able to go home to New Jersey for, uh, for Thanksgiving, but she's not able to go home for Christmas. And so we have her be part of our family for Christmas. Uh, we've, uh, Charles and Sydney and Jordan have been part of our family Christmas at times. Uh, if you remember Gary, who used to uh, work on the building, who I met in the, going down to share the gospel in the jails, and he would come to our family Christmas. But, uh, and we would always have at least one gift for the person we invite. They might not get as many gifts as the people from the, you know, brothers and sisters giving each other a gift or whatever, but we'd always make sure we have a good gift for the person we invite. Now, a person could say, What? I'm invited to family dinner and there's going to be a free gift? What's the catch? (laughs) That's how we think, right? You know, what's the catch? What's the cost? Well, it's kind of that's kind of the mystery of grace. There's a cost to unwrapping it. But Christ has paid the cross, and Christ motivates you to pay the cost. And Christ is the one who who helps you understand in the first place that that gift's worth unwrapping. There are certain people, if they gave you a gift, you'd be quick to want to unwrap it. Other people, if they gave you a gift, you might be like, I don't know if I want to unwrap this. Maybe it's a whoopee cushion or, or, you know, maybe it's a trick or something. So, you know, Christ is the one who helps us see the kingdom of God in the first place. And want to unwrap his gifts. Like the song Amazing Grace. It was grace that taught my, fear, my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. So what's the catch in the Christmas dinner analogy? Well you actually have to come to Christmas dinner. And you have to enjoy a feast and a banquet. It's amazing how many times Jesus uses the analogy of inviting people to a feast and a banquet. And all, people have all these excuses about why they don't want to come to the feast. He's inviting you every day to dine in his presence on his word. But we have lots of reasons we don't want to go to that feast. He's inviting you to come clean with your sins. He's inviting you to all sorts of ways to, to open up more grace to you. And he's the one that helps us see that unwrapping that present is worth it. Then you might, after dinner, you have to... You know, we always have a family tradition of we either read from Luke 1 and 2 or Matthew 1 and 2 or one year we read from John 1, sort of the eternal version of the Incarnation. Uh, we, uh, sometimes Jason will have a family message if we have Christmas at his house or I'll have a family message at my house or whatever. So you've got you to gotta put up with hearing one of us give a message. Or uh, if this year we had a church-wide uh, Christmas Eve gathering and when there was a message from Jason. Then, besides eating the dinner and listening to a a message about the importance of gifts and the incarnation and so forth, then you get given a gift. And you could just sit there and go, wow, I can tell Brother Greg didn't wrap this. must have been Catherine. It's all wrapped nice. Look at that bow. This is some really cool wrapping paper, isn't it? And you could say, thank you very much. (laughs) But you're supposed to unwrap the gift and find out what's inside. So really grace, uh, one of the misnomers of our day is that if something is free, there's no cost to it. <laughs> but it's an irony of scripture, but it's true that all that they're all free gifts have a cost to acquire them. Uh, I'm going to actually skip to number three and come back to it because that's a good transition to, you know, you hear it, they have late night TV commercials selling funny products like Things that dice onions and all kind of nutty stuff, and uh, um, they always say only three easy payments. You know, when you go to the car dealer, well, it would only be uh, you know when they have car commercials, only two thirty nine a month. Only well, I don't know about you, but I've never had an easy payment. <laughs> really easy payments? What what kind of nonsense is that? Sales commercials that say you'll save hundreds of dollars if you come and spend all this money. What kind of nonsense? It, it, but we, we believe it. There, there's an old saying, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Even in our entitlements and society, what people don't get is, uh, you know, your living on assistance or whatever is sometimes needed. I encourage people to do that if it's needed and so forth. But you also want to work toward getting off of that. Because the truth of the matter is, someone else is paying for that, and there's, and it's unsustainable over time to keep adding more and more benefits to to it. That's why Greece is collapsing now. In the 1930s, there became an idea from a guy named Keynes that. Governments can spend their way out of downturns in the economy by spending money they don't have and entitling their citizens. And then as they entitle the citizens, they'll spend more money. And somehow this will all prove the economy. Now, any fool knows that that doesn't work on a family level. (laughs) That doesn't work for a private business. That's unsustainable in the long term. One of the things we're going to... I just encourage you to prepare for this is all of Europe and all of the western uh, north north american countries embrace that idea in the 1930s and have their debt has grown and grown and grown and grown and the citizens believing they're entitled to this they're entitled to that they're entitled to this and entitled to that has grown and grown and grown and grown so when you Greece is just the first domino That's going to eventually, you know, I, we may ride through this one and they may be able to stabilize it again and maybe they'll get through two or more, uh, more, but eventually there's going to come a downturn in the economy that they just can't fix it. It's too deep because the people are in, as Greece has demonstrated, the people are unwilling to cut back their entitlements and the government can't afford it forever. One of the reasons I got signatures for Mayor Leitzel to to run and stuff, he's not a Christian guy. He is a friend and a good friend. I like him. We've met and talked on a number of occasions. But, you know, his message is basically there's a limit to what the city of Dayton can do So learn to solve problems in the neighborhood associations and the priority boards and so forth. There's a cost. Now, I'm tying this all back to grace. There's a cost to grace. Think about it. God uh, started grace by slaying uh, some animals. I happen to believe that he probably slayed a lamb in the Garden of Eden as a foreshadowing, but it doesn't say that. But he covered Adam and Eve with animal skins. They, like... uh, Cain tried to bring an offering of plants. They tried to cover themselves with vines. God covered them. Speaking of, there's no redemption without the shedding of blood. And it's God who provides the redemption. And And beginning with that, God began to work out salvation history. And it has cost him and cost him and cost him and cost him. Until finally it cost him his very son. Now, there's quite a few people in this room who have a son. Uh, To lose your son would be unimaginable. When my little brother died at age 11 and I was 17, I remember my Christian father, who has a deep faith in God, who knew that son was in heaven, still coming home every night and building a fire and just staring into the fire, unable to talk, Unable to stay involved. Uh, he, it took him six months just to be able to start going to prayer meetings and different things again. It was a, it was a tough blow. But it, that's only a little drop in the bucket of the depth of what happened between the father and the son that had eternally been in perfect fellowship. No sin had ever marred their fellowship. No finiteness had ever limited it. One of the things that I always say is, do you know that we would have problems in our relationships even if we didn't have sin natures? Do <laughs> you know that? Because we're finite. And so it would be inevitable, even with the best of motives and the most pure, perfect of charitable hearts and service toward one another, we would still misunderstand each other and have to talk it through. One of the great mistakes you can make in marriage is... Uh, you have taken. Well, we already talked about this, <laughs> you know. Well, get. It, let me just let me clue you in. You're going to talk about it uh, several hundred times sometimes before change begins to, to to help you find one another. But you have to keep at it. Grace is worth it. But grace requires. Uh, grace is not free. It's free. <laughs> There's no free lunch. That didn't cost somebody. Now, jumping back up a point, you were born into God's family by grace. First of all, in the natural, nobody chooses their family. I didn't choose to be a Weiss. You didn't choose to be an Osborne or an Anderson or a Trimbach or anything like that. Tony Johnson didn't say, I think I'd like to be born to Charles Johnson. You're born by the grace of God, even in the natural. You're born into a family. Now, your family could be more stable or less stable or more troubled or less troubled, but you're born uh, by God's initiative. And when you're born again in the kingdom of God, it's him that convicts you of your sin. It's him that draws you to the grace of God. It's him that grants you repentance that leads to life. And he grafts you into his people. God never saves you just as an isolated individual. It's one of those great mysteries of both in you are you are uh, a special daughter or son to God who has a individual relationship with him and that relationship is a calling to be a part of a family and the more the you know we always we we always say there's no perfect churches but it's a misunderstanding to think that there aren't better or worse churches the truth of the matter is there's healthier or or less healthy uh there's there uh you there the church is a tool of god's grace and so you're born into a natural family and a spiritual family by grace but belonging by grace makes demands on you hebrews 12 talks about uh he disciplines every son whom he receives if you are without discipline if, in other words, if no one ever challenges you, no one ever confronts you, uh, you, you never have to say, I'm sorry, then you, you don't actually belong. We, we've grown, grown so comfortable in America with our hide, being able to hide our pain behind watching television all night and not in all kinds of ways that we avoid reality of relationships deeply as a culture right now but the truth of the matter is there's no belonging if there's not discipline and confrontation and and repenting and forgiving there there was this humanistic nutty movie in the 60s or i think it's probably in the 70s then there was a line love means having never having to say you're sorry and i'm just, I, that is just the most absurd false statement there ever was love means always having to say you're sorry Sometimes I just say I'm sorry before the conversation starts because I know I've probably screwed up. I can remember coming home from church in 2003, the conversation that that started this church. My wife says I've got to talk to you, and I'm thinking, Oh my God, what stupid, man, insensitive thing have I said that I'm going to be repenting? I'm already sorry, <laughs> and it, this time it wasn't me, but usually it was, you know. And she said, I can, you know. You know, if we don't start a church, our kids will never know the worship that we think, et cetera. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, love means always having to say you're sorry. If you're without confrontation, without discipline, without instruction, without correction, you don't belong. All right, let's jump down to point C of number seven, grace delivered. We're going to look at this in uh, more thoroughly I'm just going to introduce this concept here, but we're going to look at this more thoroughly in chapters 4, 5, and 6. There are three ways that God delivers grace to us, and they're all supposed to be inextricably intertwined all the time. And next week I'll tell a little story of of how that worked in my life in one particular incident. But God delivers the, the grace to you through the scriptures. Today, Emily's going to have an announcement and share a thing that she's been working on that uh, I'm so thankful for called the the Grace Christian Fellowship Recommended Foundational Book List. And they're books that we think will help you find grace. Paul says in in his last uh, talk, in Acts Acts 20, in his last talk to the Ephesian elders, he says, I commend you to God in the word of his grace. Grace comes through scripture study. And it, you know what? There's this attitude to it. Well, if you can only get five minutes, well, that's better than no minutes. That's true. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible says be diligent to study the scriptures. You know, devotionettes make raisinettes. And I'm not trying to, again, we're, you're not more accepted by God if you study scripture. That's the trap of performance base. But st- as you study God's scriptures and you, through him, hear his voice, relate to him. He speaks to you through the scriptures and so forth. You grow in the grace of God. You don't have to do that to be accepted as a Christian. You get to do that because you love your father. Most little kids want to be with their father more. You know, my favorite memory of probably of all my kids was my my youngest daughter when she was three trying to talk me out of going to work one day. She was three or four years old and, and and uh daddy don't go to work today stay home and play with me and i'm like well daddy has to go to work you know i was working for a guy named greg jackson a financing company and i'm like yeah you know i don't think mr jackson would appreciate it too much if i stayed home to play with you today you know uh and she and she doesn't take no for an answer very easily she had all these reasons why i didn't need to go to work <laughs> and uh you know, grace is coming to God through the scriptures. It's not because you have to, to find acceptance or favor. It's because it's how you unwrap the acceptance and favor he's giving you. Likewise, the Holy Spirit. People want to go only so far with the Holy Spirit because deep down we sense that, that we're going to lose a little bit of control and different things if we go deeper with the Holy Spirit. You don't have to go deeper with the Holy Spirit, but you get to go deeper with the Holy Spirit. You know, Peter didn't. Ha- Peter could have kept hanging on to the boat and for dear life and so forth, or he could have responded to the Holy Spirit in the voice of Jesus when he said, Come. Now, that's a pretty far out uh, kind of adventure with God to walk on water. I, I have yet to have an experience like that. I've had some pretty cool experiences with God and some that are very adventurous but that's that's awesome isn't it I mean if God calls you to walk on water go for it uh you know um the Holy you know we as we drink of the Holy Spirit he's called the Spirit of Grace in Hebrews and the church we'll we'll look at that for a whole week in this series but we cut ourselves off from, you want to get every aspect of what the church has to offer. The creeds, the scripture readings, the communion, the personal discipleship, the small groups, the confessing our sins to one another, the, an accountability partner, all this kind of stuff. You want everything you can get out of your local church. Grace is delivered to us when you... When you turn on a pipe, I've been doing a lot with plumbing and pipes lately, fixing all the plumbing in the bathrooms. And uh, when you turn on a pipe, water comes out. Now, we don't, you know, you, we don't think about that at our kitchen sink that much. But actually, there was a very complex delivery system that brought that water to you. The, the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and the church working in conjunction with each other all the time our God's delivery system to grow in grace. Next week we'll look at attitudes and actions for appropriating greater grace.